0: Hello, Doug.
1: Hello, Karen.
0: We're on Hollywood Boulevard.
1: Welcome.
0: So it's so funny because we kind of um, segued. Um, we're going to segue. It's going to be like a slightly awkward segue. But I had mentioned um, on when we were on the block about um, this guy that I dated in my twenties that reminded me of uh, Sydney's new paramour. Um, whose name just escaped me for a second. Now. Carter, oh, Carter, 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 played by Chad Lowe. And I said, oh, he reminds me of this guy that I dated. And um, this guy was a music freak. He was actually a DJ um, on one of the rock radio stations. And he and so he like his idea of like a fun date was like sitting in his apartment and getting really high and watching behind the music. <laughs> and so I mean ironically like I just sort of like was like oh that's who Carter reminds me of Um, because Doug and I had decided that we were going to talk about rockumentaries for for this episode of Hollywood Boulevard and it was just really funny
1: that I was like oh my
0: god that's like that guy I'm not going to say his name but
1: uh, (laughs) oh my god wouldn't that be amazing if he somehow was listening to this oh
0: crap I hope not um (laughs) Um, But yeah, so we're going to talk about rockumentaries. I'm a big fan. Are you a fan of rockumentaries?
1: I am. And just to be clear, we are actually talking about not more than filmed concerts, concert movies, but true rockumentaries that give you the backstory of the band, the artist, the whoever.
0: Yes. Um, And so that would kind of be like VH1's uh, Behind Behind the the music. Music, which was like one of those where, I mean, you know, all joking aside... I actually really enjoyed watching it. And so, I mean, does VH1 still exist?
1: It does, I think they just play zero music. No video hits, VH0. Really? Pretty sure, I haven't watched it in years. They got rid of their top 20 countdown at least five years ago, which to me, I think was like the final nail in their we're gonna play any music coffin.
0: Oh man, yeah, wow, damn. Huh. Well, okay. So anyway, um
1: I should I should amend that slightly to say that on the VH one classic network that I get with my cable, that that's pretty much all music all the time. Oh, but so it's wait, not new. Many... But it's not new.
0: So how many do you like how many how, how many How many episodes, like how many channels are there?
1: There is, let's see, VH1. Actually, we might not get VH1 Classic anymore. There might just be VH1, and apparently, all it's playing right now are reruns of Chappelle's show and playing House Party and What's Love Got to Do with It this week. Wow. So that's where VH1 is these days.
0: Interesting. All right. So what I'm going to, one of the things that I am going to talk about um, that is not, which you can watch now as opposed to (laughs) wishing that it was still As opposed to
1: time traveling. Yeah,
0: as opposed to time traveling. Um, If you have Amazon Prime, there is a, I, I don't even know how I found this. It's kind of like a treasure trove of Rockymentaries, um, including a series called, and I had the name wrong earlier. It, it isn't what I told you it was. It's called Classic Albums. And, um, and so it basically is kind of a deep dive into a seminal album for a band. So, um, for example, I saw the one with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, mm-hmm. and they did a deep dive into Damn the Torpedoes. And so you have, like, most of the band members, if not all of the band members, you know, as long as they're alive and still talking to each other. And this one, Tom Petty was still still alive, so he was in this um, when they made it. And they basically, like, sit there and they tell you about the making of the album, what you know? What inspired the songs? Or and and a lot of it is actually in the studio, and so you get these really this sort of really interesting backstory into kind of how the sausage was made, right? So, for example, um, I think it was with Tom Petty with one of the songs. Now I can't remember one of the songs, but there was some the dude that worked in the studio who just was standing outside of the recording room. And he was, like, shaking a shaker, you know, like the musical. I, I, I think they're actually called a shaker, the instruments. And, mm-hmm. the mu- and the producer could kind of hear it and liked the way that it sounded and, ha- and was like, get in here, get in here. And that, and that added, like, a layer of sound to, to the album. And it was really interesting. It's been really interesting to watch these because they will, um, I forgot what it's called, but you can, you can take away tracks. And so they'll Mm. take away all of these different... They'll take away, they'll strip it down so you're only listening to a guitar track or the drum track, or in this case, the shaker track, right? And then they'll start putting it all together and adding tracks in and in and in. And so what you think is just a guitar playing or like the guitar and the drums, you know, it actually is layer upon layer of all of these different sounds that end up making that song such a rich musical event, um, yeah. you know, for, for lack of a better word. And so it's super fascinating to sort of see like, and you know, like those moments where I'm like, well, I thought it was just the guitar, like the Def Leppard one. Like I always thought right. it was just the guitar, right. but it, it was the guitar, but it turns out that there's a second guitar that's playing something completely different underneath what you think is the guitar what you what you recognize as the guitar riff they're playing something completely different underneath that is adding to that so that it is an, a much richer and more complex sound so fascinating so it's not that sort of like VH one behind the music we're just kind of like gonna like
1: Right Because it's not about the scandals as much as it's actually right. about the it's songs.
0: Actually about the creation of the songs. So if you're kind of a music nerd, like I am like you really sort of like love hearing about the technique of song, it's not even song writing, but really song making and sort of the technique mm-hmm. of putting mm-hmm. an album together. Um, it's super fascinating. Um, and you also realize like, as talented as these artists are, they write great songs, they put them together really well, they can even arrange them. At the end of the day, the magic really happens with the producers. And, you know, at least with the albums. And, you know, and it's also super interesting to sort of think about musical acts now and how I really have a hard time listening to the new artists live. And I don't know if it's because... Sound engineers don't know what they're doing anymore, or if it's because they are now so overproduced in the studio that they're just not very talented and can't pull it off live. Whereas these artists, even though the albums are multi-layered and complex, and may and so the songs sound really, really good, and you're probably never going to capture that live. You've still, there's still talent behind them when they are playing live that they still sound really fucking good.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, I do think with the modern people, it's that they're just not as good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but what's funny is I have seen classic albums when I was uh, in college and post college on, of all places, the H1 Classic. That's where I saw a lot of these episodes, not knowing oh my God, this was the so same cool. thing that, that's now on Amazon Prime, and that's yeah. what you were watching.
0: And that's why I screwed up. I screwed up what it was when I emailed you earlier. I was like, "Oh, I've been watching this thing," and it wasn't like that's not what it's called. It was classic albums. Oh, so you have so you do know yeah, what I'm talking about. Yeah, and I about. was like,
1: "Oh, is that a new show? Did I read about that anywhere?" Um, no, but I did see these in the past. You know, because I remember talking about. Um, I mean, like, I mean, like some of the most seminal. Albums, you know, like like the, the Black Album the Metallica did, yeah. and Goodbye Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, and Nirvana, and and of course Rumors, uh, Fleetwood. Yeah, Rumors. Ma- it uh, but rumor. it's like, yeah, and you learn you learn about the writing, you learn more about the vocals, and you learn about how the different instruments come into play. You learn more about the post production, and how all of those things equally contribute to. What is then, like, a sound that everyone commits to memory forever. Right. Right? And there are so many things. And I remember that 20 Feet to Stardom movie about backup singers, that documentary that won the Oscar a couple of years ago. Like, you know, like, there are, there are parts of songs that's just, they're sounds that I cannot label. I won't know that it is a guitar versus a backup singer versus a harmonica versus... You know this instrument or that instrument or this obtuse thing making the sound. I just know in my head it sounds like this. I just know when I sing it out loud, I make a blah sound, and I'm like, well, I know what that means. And the, the sound, you know, and that's what's familiar to me. But this really goes into the nuts and bolts making of music and how yeah. the sounds together combine something symphonic. It was really cleverly done, and was I think it started. I think in the nineties, uh, and went through all the two thousands. So there were a lot of the albums that like were the ones I had grown up knowing and listening to, but this gave me more information than I would have ever gotten otherwise. Yeah. It puts, it puts a lot of it in the context of its time. Um, like it's very easy to say, well, with rumors Everyone in Fleetwood Mac was having affairs with everyone and breaking up. But this actually tells you like where the ideas for specific songs came from. Right. And how they chose it to sound like this.
0: Right, right. As opposed to just talking about the affairs. I mean, I think with rumors there was a little bit of it because they were... I think with rumors they were fighting. And so there was you know the like yeah. who was staying and what part of the house that they rented and you know so i mean of course with Fleetwood Mac there's always going to be that sort of drama but at the end of it it was really about how the album came together
1: music right and like lost in a lot of that stuff about like the affairs is a song like songbird yeah that um... Christy McVie sang, which is this beautiful vocal to the point where she goes, I can't sing this live in- anymore because I'm tired of crying every night. Yeah. And that, that's really, you know, like, the backstory is connected to what was going on, but you wouldn't necessarily know that right. just from putting in a CD, tape, record, however much you want to date yourself and hitting play.
0: And, you know, it's so funny because some of these, like, I watched, um, I think on Sunday night, I finally watched the Def Leppard Hysteria one. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting because I had kind of lost the plot of like what the albums, what albums came out for. You know, like Pyromania yeah. was before Hysteria, uh, and and like I don't know. I mean, I always liked Death Leopard. I never loved Death Leopard, and I guess like I never really looked at them as sort of like like they always sort of seemed like maybe not
1: manufactured,
0: kind of manufactured, yeah, and. And because and I guess because they kind of came up in that hair band time mm-hmm. um, where you just kind of you're, you're just kind of I was kind of dismissive of them. And it was really to my detriment because they were actually very talented musicians. And ultimately, when you look at what happened to Rick Allen and Rick losing Allen? his arm, and then turning around and still being able to drum and not only being able to drum in the studio, but also developing a drum kit and a style yeah, so that you yeah. could drum live and on tour with them. That's kind of mind blowing. You know, that's truly mind blowing that he was able to do that and then to come away with what is considered. And after watching this um, this documentary, I will say rightfully so, what is considered, they, they made a Greatest Hits album. Out of all new
1: songs. Yeah. No, Hysteria truly is. Now, that's Mutt Lang, who ended up marrying and then divorcing Shania. Like, that man is one of, like, the great geniuses of knowing what will sell, of what earworms in any genre to create. But, I mean, yeah, Hysteria is hit after hit. And it's, it's so easy because it became almost a cliche to make fun of Rick Allen, where he was in this horrific accident, but he didn't die. You say you know the 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 line was always I've lost my arm and I'm a drummer it's like yeah but you're still alive it's like yeah but he was able to keep drumming he was able to use new technology to become a better drummer yeah and um, and play even deeper on the songs that came after it's yeah yeah, it's it's really incredible and and i feel like a lot of the albums that the classic album series did are those ones where you say like these are like the greatest hits i mean damn the torpedoes is one of them like that that was the third album i think for uh tom and the heartbreakers and it's like every single is a great i mean every track is worth re-listening to over and over again
0: It's so funny because uh, Hysteria and Damn the Torpedoes, it was with those bands that they kind of almost had like the opposite, like with Tom Petty, that was the band that, that Damn the Torpedoes was the album that sort of like made them take off in the United States, but they were actually already really, really big in the UK. Mm -hmm. Like they were huge in the UK and they couldn't sell, they couldn't sell an album in the U S they couldn't go out on tour in the U S and sell out stadiums. And Hysteria was the same thing for Def Leppard. They, I think that they said Pyromania only sold like three thousand copies in the UK. Like the UK could not be bothered with them. Right, they were
1: huge here because they fell right into the US hair metal craze in the mid 80s but not they weren't not really liked at, at all there yeah
0: yeah, yeah. like that. and then hysteria came around and it was like and that was like how they like they were like really because even though obviously like the U.S. is a bigger market you're going to get more like it's actually a bigger deal to <laughs> to hit it in the U.S. right <laughs> but for them it was like being able to sell out like i don't like i don't remember where where they were but this like it was like this huge outdoor you know it wasn't like lost and buried, but it was you get that idea like that big outdoor festival feeling like to be able to sell that out was such a like was such a coup for them because they had never you know like sometimes they would be called, like the the, the English would call them an American band. Like they had no idea that they were actually British, you know? So that was like also like a really big deal for them, which was like, it's super fascinating how they had like, you know, Tom Petty was going through the same thing where they were not getting recognition in their home country until that particular album.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that was, so yeah, it's a, it's really classic albums. I mean, there's so many of them. Uh you know, and if you are like a music geek, um it's so worth the time. And what, they're only like 45 minutes, 50 minutes long a
1: piece. Yeah. So you're um this is Amazon Prime, right?
0: Yeah, Amazon Prime. Yeah. yeah. yeah Amazon Prime.
1: And Do you have um, any I, other documentaries in your life that you've seen that you're a particularly big fan of?
0: Um, well, I just saw I just saw, and let me see if I can get this one right too um i can i can okay so i just saw this one called the rainbow
1: is that about rainbow the band
0: no mm. okay so you know the whiskey a go-go oh on,
1: yeah on the
0: strip in la right like broke all those ba- you know broke all the hair metal bands like so many musicians yeah. came yeah part of the, the strip. Yeah. I had no idea who owned it, um, what the background, what the background story was with it, and I also did not know that the same people that did own the Whiskey A Go Go owned a bar restaurant that's kind of situated behind the the whiskey called the Rainbow, and that ended up becoming a hangout. The Rainbow Bar and Grill um, became a hangout for all these rock and roll people. That would play the whiskey, and then they would, like, go hang out at the Rainbow. And um, the owner of the guy that owned the whiskey
1: also owned... Is that Lou Adler?
0: Uh, the Rainbow Bar and Grill. And no, it was... Hold on. Let me see if I can get the names of these people for you. Um, um, so, oh, God, I
1: wish... Is it they... Elmer Valentine?
0: No, it was um, Mag- Magliari Mario Magliari. Oh, okay. There, they came out of uh, Chicago. So I don't remember who they said originally founded the whiskey, but this guy Mario Magliari was called out from Chicago to run the business for this guy because he mm-hmm. it was failing so badly. So he came in and he like turned it into the whiskey. And so once the whiskey got up and running and it was doing well, and he was had an opportunity to. By this you know this restaurant right beside it he he ended up doing that and he made it into this restaurant and bar that then became like a big hangout for all of these musicians and like so you know and from like people who were like established right and made it and so like would hang out in like this upstairs room but then also Like, you know, they had Lita Ford on the documentary talking about how when she and um, the Runaways first moved to L.A. And they lived like a couple blocks away and would play the whiskey and then, you know, and go to the rainbow every night because they didn't have any money. And so Mario would give them chicken soup and a loaf of bread. And he would, and and he would be like, "Don't worry about paying. Don't don't worry about it. I got. It. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it." Like he would, like feed the musicians. Like he would give them food, like that they couldn't afford. Or he would, you know, give them a beer. Or, you know, like and he never was like, you know, pay up. Like he just, it was just like this karmic thing with him. Like and he just loved. I guess he just loved the musicians and cared about the musicians so what so much that he was just like, "Here, I'll feed you." And it was like, and it was really lovely. And let me um. From Motorhead would hang out there, like, and hung out there so much now. Like, after he passed away, they put like us, like, they have, like, I guess, like a garden area, and there's a statue of him, and it's like the Lemmy Garden area or something like that, named after him. Um, Ozzy was on the documentary, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just uh, Slash was in the doc, like, all of these names just talking about, you know, what incredible place that this. Uh, this rainbow bar and grill was, and I didn't even know that it existed. And of course I've been to the whiskey um, because you can't go to LA and not go to the whiskey. Um, And then, and then with the rainbow and it's just also been really interesting to see it's now um, third generation running both of them. Mm. Um, Mario's sons, Mario's grandson at this point and how they've still managed to keep these places relevant considering yeah. all of the changes and the shifts in the industry and everything else that they've still managed after all of these years cuz you i mean we've saw the the rock clubs in New York basically decimated
1: you know yeah, i mean they're like, all gone they're yeah. gone
0: and that i mean i'm talking before covid you know who the hell knows No i mean like in COVID. the
1: last 20 years not just the last year yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, it's the, is Mercury Lounge still around? It has to be, right? Or did that? I think
1: it's to? still. I think it's still there, but the acts feel kind of corporate and bsy, right? Not really organic.
0: Because I think like the only places that might be left are Mercury Lounge and Bowery Ballroom. And sometimes I wonder if, and that's because now Bowery Presents
1: mm-hmm. is like
0: a huge booker, and I think they actually run. I think they actually run a lot of sm- smaller, like mid-sized clubs in different cities around the country and so they end up kind of booking acts like you know they, they they kind of have a tour circuit where they can book acts through you know um but but it's not it's definitely not you know CBGB's is gone um Oh God! Yeah, Kansas like?
1: City is gone. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like a a lot of those clubs, and and like some of the smaller grungier clubs um, mm-hmm. down down in the, in the Lower East Side from like the nineties, like when the Sto- where the Strokes came up, mm-hmm. and you know, P- and bands like that. Um, with Ju- Ju- Julian Casablanca? What the hell was the name of his band? Ack, I can't think of it. Maybe he is the Strokes.
1: That was the
0: Strokes. That was the Strokes. Okay. Um, but yeah, like that, like the, those clubs that those guys came up in, those are all gone now. They don't exist anymore. Yeah. And so, for for them to be able to keep the whiskey going, and the and the Rainbow Barn Grill, for that matter, going is kind of a testament to the family that runs it. You know that they've managed to stay relevant.
1: Yeah, it's great for them. I mean. Yeah. It's amazing that this scene has been able to stay afloat in any way at all after all yeah. these years. Yeah.
0: So, so it was my super,
1: God, what, a, it was, what it must have been like to be a part of it in its heyday.
0: And also the fact that it isn't corporate owned, like they never sold out. That's
1: the big, that, that is a big deal. Yeah.
0: You know what I mean? Like, like they never sort of said here, the, oh yeah, we'll take your money and we're going to like piss off now, you know, and it did. And what was interesting that they brought up, oh, so I should mention this with um the Rainbow Bar and Grill. It actually was the basis for what the hard rock cafe was. So to have like the rock and roll memorabilia on the walls and stuff like that, that is actually the rock, uh, the hard rock cafe stole that idea from, from the rainbow barn grill, which they had a laugh over. Like they just thought it was really funny. Like they didn't even look at it as,
1: they're not angry about it.
0: Like they're not angry about it. They just think it's funny because it's not, it's, it's and they but they they said this. They said it's not genuine. Like the shit that's on their walls was genuine. It was like you know, slash walking in and saying, "Hey, this is the guitar I destroyed on this music video. Here, take it. Wouldn't that be great?" Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna put it on the wall. You know what I mean? Like the, these these were gifted to um, to the family and to this establishment because they love these people. They care about these people. This was their second home. You know, um, and. Obviously, the Hard Rock Cafe is just, like, a corporate watered-down version of, like, the real thing. Anyway,
1: Have you ever been to Cleveland and and seen the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame?
0: I never have been to Cleveland.
1: Well, if you go to Cleveland, that's a thing to do there.
0: It's the only reason to go to Cleveland, I would imagine.
1: Uh, I mean, they have some good restaurants, but yes. If you find yourself there, do that. Do not rush to go otherwise necessarily but i think it's really cool and you know the exhibits are going to be what the exhibits are um some are better than others but i think they're well curated but it's it's to see some of the memorabilia like this is the napkin that tom petty wrote a song on and stuff like that Mm. i will i will never tire of things like that and those are you know i don't know how they were donated it may not have been as simple as like slash thing here um but they are the real thing there and they're not You you know, like, they're not things that have been cloned and and shipped around. Right, right.
0: Um, Okay, so beyond that, I mean, in terms of rockumentaries, um, gosh, now I'm kind of, you know, that I have watched, I'm kind of drawing a blank, but I will say I will always love um, Kurt and Courtney. Yeah. That's such a great one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Do we have to explain? So Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love were married. At the time you oh, the- have to explain yeah. it, I guess we might have to, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Um, it was an investigation into the death of Kurt Cobain. Um, where that was alleging it was it was ex- looking at the allegations that it was Courtney Love's fault, basically.
1: That 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 wasn't suicide, but that she had actually done it and set it up. Yeah. Um, I know multiple people who have watched Kurt and Courtney and said, so like, by the end, like, I'm convinced that she did it. And I don't share that, but I do find the whole thing mesmerizing.
0: Yeah, it was, I mean, it was definitely, there was definitely a compelling argument to be made, for sure. I don't think yes.
1: she did it either. Yeah.
0: Um, I don't think that, I mean, she was so strung out. I don't think that she would have yeah. been capable of doing it. Um, but there, I mean, it was definitely a compelling argument to be made um, in in that regard. So Kurt and Courtney is a good one.
1: <laughs> it's really good. It is a good one.
0: But what about you? Do you have one that you love? Um,
1: I feel like I'm forgetting a lot. But yeah, I know. Cl- There's
0: so many. Classically
1: speaking, I mean, I think one of the greats is Gimme Shelter, right. which isn't a concert film because while well, it's about the Stones concert at Altamont, it's ultimately about what happened when the Hells Angels, you know, got carried away to the point of killing fans. Um, and you watch the end, the band see the footage and react to it silently, which is kind of harrowing. It's yeah. pretty amazing. But you know what I remember is um, the Metallica documentary, Some Kind of Monster. I... Did you ever see that? I think I'm...
0: I thought I saw it but now I'm thinking maybe I didn't or maybe I started to watch it and then had to go away and then didn't watch it again. I heard it's it's supposed to be really really good.
1: Yeah and, and very uncomfortable because it's basically they are in group sessions to write and record their next album at the point that the band was its most fractured before finally kind of like giving way and taking a break and having one member replaced, but they have essentially a therapist in the sessions with them. And so he's working with them to work through their baggage, but it's emotional baggage. So it's more about therapy than it is about, you know, creating music. And it's, you know, it's for egos and it's for people who have been together in this thing for anywhere between like, Twenty to fifteen, I fifteen to twenty years, um, who know each other inside and out, good and bad, um, and and have just kind of had it with each other, and I think it's fascinating to watch. <laughs>
0: yeah, I feel like maybe I started to watch it, and then it just kind of, it just, it just kind of, it just kind of didn't didn't um didn't continue. You know what one I couldn't watch that I tried mm-hmm. to and then I was just like, what the fuck is going on here? was um the Led Zeppelin one. I think it was the is that song was- remains the same. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love it. I own it, but it's very like what's psychedelic for lack yeah. of a better word. Yeah.
0: It was super trippy and I was like yeah. What the hell is going on here? And I honestly, I couldn't, I could not watch it. I was like, oh my God, this is too much. I can't do it. You, you love it?
1: I, I love it. And because I love Led Zeppelin, but I haven't watched it in 20 years. And I don't think we talked about this with, uh, on the Melrose podcast, but there are things I look back on now, 20, 25, 30 years ago that I loved. And I'm like, I'm just looking at it with a different set of eyes. I think for so many, I think of how for so many years I, was truly obsessed with every Zeppelin album and every song and people joke about it being like a phase or a rite of passage for a lot of guys as they grow up. And I was like, nah, you like what you like and you keep liking it. And I like, I can't, I haven't listened to any of their music in so long. I think if I ever did, I would, I'd probably just not be taken in by it the same way. So I was, you know, I was a Zeppelin completist at the time. And I'm like, yeah, the song remains the same. It's one of the most amazing things ever. And I'm 99% sure if I watched it now in in some way, I would, I would turn it it
0: off. It was just weird. But I will say this. I walked away from Led Zeppelin for a really long time. And I mean, I'm someone who saw Robert Plant in concert. Like I'm definitely was a huge Zeppelin fan. And I walked away for a long time and I've just recently gone back to their music and realized how much I love it.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't assail the music. I don't assail the albums at all because and how I, they're as close to the real thing. But. And
0: they're so spectacularly nerdy. I mean, <laughs> that's it, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. Like, what, they, like they have a whole album that's like dedicated to like the Hobbit. All right. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's sort of like mythology, and that's sort of, you know, all, yeah. of that, um, all of that weirdness, you know, permeates it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I would seek it all out, and now I'm like, all right, I like it in, in, in theory, but, you know, I'm not putting on rock and roller days and confused anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I was trying to think.
0: There's also truth or dare. Oh, I love that's that a one.
1: Great, that's a great idea. I love. Yeah, that. that's a great mention. I think I do think that 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 is also an absolutely terrific documentary. Yeah, I do own it somewhere too because I love that Blunt Ambition tour, and the closest I could mm-hmm. get to actually owning it is probably owning the Truth or Dare DVD. So I bought that for like ten bucks back when Virgin Megastore was a thing. Um, and boy, that movie takes me back. Entertainment was so different then. It's fascinating. And you see a real Madonna in it.
0: Yeah, you do. You do. And her... um, How, She's tireless. Yeah. Tireless. I mean, that was really where she was at her peak musically, I think, too.
1: I think so, too. Yeah, I think so, too.
0: Um, You know, I think that... um, you know, and yeah, she was she was absolutely tireless. Because wait, what album came after after Blonde Ambition? Was that Ray of Light that came after?
1: No, no. And Blonde Ambition wasn't an album, but it was the tour when they the had tour, uh, right the tour when the Dick Tracy soundtrack came out. The I'm Breathless was what it was called, and that's what had Vogue on it, and some of the and the Dick Tracy songs. And then okay. right after that, there was like a pause, and then she came back with Erotica. Ray of Light was later on in the, in the decade. But this was but, like the, the very
0: beginning of the '90s. Oh, uh, you know why? Because I guess the documentary came out. That's what I'm thinking of. The documentary came out close to, because the documentary came out in '97. No. Yeah. No,
1: that documentary is like '90, am- '91. 90, no, '97. Really?
0: That's what Prime Video. That's what Amazon's saying. '97. Because I remember watching this kind of close, and then getting Ray of Light not that far after seeing the documentary. I'm pretty. That's what that's what it says here on Prime Video, 1997. Let's try IMDb, which is owned by Amazon, so it should
1: be the Mm, same. You would think it would be the same,
0: but let's see. Let's see. Um, Madonna. Oh, no, you're right. Ninety one. That's so weird. Why does it say ninety seven on?
1: Yeah, I don't know why.
0: On Amazon Prime, maybe they mean it when it came out on video. That's possible. Yeah, I guess it's possible. But no, you were right. It was nineteen
1: ninety one. I mean, I just, I just, I remember it being that early and coming out around. The Blonde Ambition and Vogue and all that. But also, I just think her career was in a different leg by that time. Like, Truth or Dare wouldn't have come out when Evita had come out. And she was in serious, high-profile actress mode. And Ray of Light was much more ethereal than about shock value. So I just think she was in a right. different stage of her career by then. Right. All of which are kind of galvanizing anyway. But, um, yeah, Truth or Dare is amazing.
0: Yeah. That is such a great documentary.
1: Yeah. Do you remember do you remember the big thing was when they showed Kevin Costner backstage saying that the show the concert was neat? Yeah. They kinda, made fun of that yeah. forever.
0: <laughs> it was like that was neat.
1: <laughs> it was so long ago that's when she dating Warren Beatty was the biggest thing. Yeah. Now people and, are like, Who's Warren Beatty?
0: I know. And and he and she, and that was when like you could like you watch them break up. Yeah. watch them break up which was kind of crazy trying to think now what other rockumentaries there are I mean I mean there are tons there are absolute tons but now nothing is sort of like sticking out in my head at the
1: moment I'm trying to think
0: but you You know I
1: keep coming back to concert movies
0: yeah and like, and then also again like behind the music was such a source for all of these rockumentaries, you know, or like, you know, rockumentary. Yeah, those elements. first couple
1: of years of behind the music. I mean, the research is great. The interviews you get are great. Yeah. Um, and I mean, uh, over a varied group. They,
0: I wish they existed someplace like, in, like they're just sitting in like the vault. Are you sure that vaults? they don't? I don't know if they do. I wonder if you
1: went to like vh1.com or something if you could see them.
0: Because you know, like they're just like sitting in a in a vault. Somewhere in in in, in via in like Viacom's basement, like what like what the fuck,
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know where you can find it, oh hmm.
0: yeah. uh, did you ever you know this is one I never saw because it was fairly recent, soaked oh, in beach, the one the private investigator that was hired by Courtney Love talking about Kurt Cobain's death death
1: no I don't no I definitely didn't see it but I didn't even know it existed
0: yeah I didn't I didn't see it either because at that point I was just I just kind of like start to feel like I think many, I'm tapped out on that story. yeah like how many people are trying to sort of it, profit, have their yeah, side, yeah yeah and profit off of um you know off of Cobain's death you know No, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Where can you see Behind the
1: Music? Ugh.
0: Because it would be great to watch it, I guess, on YouTube.
1: (gasps) (laughs) Well, you can find it there, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) So here's a call to action for, for any of our listeners. If you know where you can find some of the Behind the Musics, let us know. I will say I love the Ozzy Osbourne one. I loved the Heart one. I loved the... TLC one, Journey was really good. I Liked a lot of them. I yeah. saw all the first film.
0: I can't believe how, how you can remember them. God, that's crazy. A poison. Remember that one.
1: I remember Pat Benatar. Damn. Oh, the Death Leopard one. Obviously, I saw that too. Um,
0: Rick Springfield had it behind the music.
1: Shut up. I probably did see that. Oh, the Go-Go's one was great. Oh, they have a great story.
0: <laughs> Those girls were wild.
1: They're, you know, speaking of documentary, and then we can sign off and, and let our dear listeners go, um, Showtime just had a documentary on the Go-Go's in the last month or two. I didn't watch it because I feel like I know that story quite well. I don't, and I don't need to see them... Forty years after the fact, reliving stuff that I've seen them talk about during and fifteen years after the fact, um, but but they all got together, I believe, and were interviewed.
0: Those ladies are wild. I'm actually they halfway through, and I am halfway through a um, a documentary on L7, which is oh yeah, actually very fascinating because they're a phenomenal band that I don't think ever really got.
1: No, they they really were forgotten.
0: Yeah, they were really forgotten, and they were such like an important part of that sort of riot girl moment, and and actually really good musicians, I believe. Oh my gosh! Uh, Was it one of the L 7s or was it somebody from Concrete Blonde, maybe who went on to actually be like a pretty major songwriter, so working? Oh, that's Linda Perry from Concrete
1: from Four Non Blondes. Four Non Blondes, that's what it was. Sorry, yeah. Four Non Concrete Blonde, by the way, is a band that I love very much. Their song "Joey" is one of my all-time favorite songs.
0: That's the um, that's the the uh, the their albums were the one I wrote my very first book to. Really. Hmm.
1: Wow, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, it was with the Con- Concrete Blonde albums on repeat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I love music. Obviously, I wrote, I write rock star romances now clearly clearly so yeah i guess that's it i'm gonna go to bed
1: it's it's time uh we hope we have uh lulled you to uh sweet slumber as well guys yes thank you as always for listening and we're happy that we have survived the whatever you call these events of the last week and whatever is to come um stay good stay loyal give us five stars we love you and let us know what your favorite rockumentaries are as well
0: Yes, we'd love to know, because we're always looking for cool shit to watch.
1: That's right. Cool. All right, see you guys next week. Take care. Bye.